Man, that was fun. I, I'm, I'm tired just watching the video. Easter was this nonstop thing, and then Monday we took off to go to Charleston to be grandparents full-time for a week. So that is not a vacation, by the way. That's refreshing for the soul and exhausting for the body, and uh, just feel like we're back into a good rhythm again. How many of you guys like when your life makes sense? Just a good rhythm. One of the things that I've enjoyed through the years, I'll just show you a picture to kind of get started. I love missions trips. I, I think getting together with a group of dedicated A-plus special forces, army ranger, you know, Navy SEAL type believers for the purpose of serving the God of the poor in the third world is probably the best investment we can make in ourselves and in the kingdom of God. If you agree with that, say amen. And, and if you don't, you're wrong. So don't say amen. Don't embarrass yourself. It really is. And I realize every place needs Jesus. I realize that, you know, the neighbor across the street. But this is a, a, a shot. And if I'm not mistaken, Tammy Cromer, are you in the room right now? Is that you? Okay, all right. I, and the reason I, I, is it's not me, but I took a picture of somebody's hands. Uh, I had a jaw infection. I got an infection from a tooth, a split tooth into the bone, and it was agonizing. I tried to pull my own tooth with my fingers. Uh, it, was, it was that painful. Got on a plane, hit the ER, and came back a couple days later. And this is what I found. And I, I love that picture because I, it means so much to me that whoever that person is, whether it's a man or a woman or myself, it can't be. I can't take I, one of my hands and I have to take the picture. So whoever it is, they are beat to snot for Jesus. I, I love that. There's something about being, what is that? It's Tracy. Is those are your hands? All right. So it is a, it, those are feminine hands, obviously. Sorry, Tracy. That are... That, so but I, remember, I remember walking and just seeing somebody that looked like the, like the cement mixer sneezed on them. I said, come here, let me take a picture. And it was Tracy. But every, every person on every mission trip has that moment where they're just like, I am hot, I am tired, I'm losing weight because of digestive issues, and that's all I'll say. Um, I can't sleep at night, I'm homesick, and I've never been this fulfilled in my life because I am dying as I live for Jesus, and I'm living as I die for my brothers. And it's beautiful, right? So how many guys love that experience of the camp or the deer camp or the youth camp or the, the missions trip? Guys, being next to people for a season and, and bonding that, just whether it's, whether it's war or whether it's missions or whether it's a construction project, you, you actually miss the people when they're gone. But how many guys know that being next to somebody for a week is easy compared to being next to somebody for a long time? And so today, I want to talk about the real work. The real work of next to is not working next to people for a few days. It's staying next to those people to become a community of God for years to come. And we, we try this sometimes. We've got the, uh, the reunions for the missions trip, and those are good, and, you know, the, that's, that's all wonderful. But, but understand this, that the hardest thing we're probably ever going to do is to stay in relationship with other people. Love God, love God. Love to serve. How many guys wish it was like one in three? They love God and just serve God, and then there's this really complicated thing in the middle. Remember back in the book of Nehemiah, God used a bunch of strangers who'd been slaves for 120 years in various ways, and the children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren of slaves, and they came together, and 28 days into it, 
they got pretty fierce and they started to lose hope and say, we're not going to do this. Just forget it. Let's just go home. It's not, we're, they're going to kill us. They're going to hurt us. Like this, there's too much to lose. My daughters are here. We can't do this. And Nehemiah had to bring them back in their memory to a place of promise. And from that place of promise, the, the mountains of rubble became, you know, they were half as big as when they started. All of a sudden they said, we can finish this thing. And they did. But the hardest part about that city was not rebuilding its walls and placing its gates and having the first sacrifice. The hardest part of the book of Nehemiah is actually learning to work together long-term. When the heat's on and you got to be a team, you got to be a family, you got to be a married couple, you got to be a business, you got to be a community, you got to be a Michigan fan, whatever that is that brings you together with other people. When, when that season is, is over with, the hardest thing is continuing to be that person long term. So the biggest struggles happen after they finish, and the biggest struggles happen for us in the normalcy of everyday life. So I want to share with you what it takes in your marriage what it takes in your family, what it takes in your church, what it takes in your community to stay next to you. Everybody say, stay next to That's the challenge, to stay next to you. Number one is this, God has to be the center of it all. And you say, well, that's a very Christian thing to say and a very likely thing for a pastor to say, but, but I, I want to prove to you that that's a true statement. If God is not preeminent and central in your family, if God is not preeminent and central in your marriage, in your community, in your God community, in your, in your church, in your fellowships at work or at school. If God is not central, then I promise you something that takes the place of centrality will divide you, whereas God brings people together. Unity, my wife already said it, wherever God sees unity, God bestows his blessing. So what do you think the devil wants to do with unity? He wants to make it blessingless. He wants to divide it. So if God is preeminent, he's most important, and he's central, he, he's most seen, when that is the central thing, when God is the center of it all, Jesus at the center of it all, we cannot be divided because nothing is bigger than Jesus. Nothing is paid more for you than Jesus. Nothing loves you more than Jesus. And so this is, this is true. This is true in every community that God's created. It's true in churches. It's true in communities. It's true in family. I'm going to prove to you something why it's true in marriage. Now, for those who are listening on the radio, the reason I just laughed, I put up a 40-foot picture of a toilet seat, and the men said it's halfway up, and the women said it's halfway down. Because we all know as men that the toilet seat should be left where? And the women should be left where? And this is why God created the outhouse with no lid whatsoever. And we screwed it up by creating toilet lids. And, and, and the reason I put it up there is because I would imagine there's been as many arguments as there has been marriages about things like this. What do we do when, when in the middle of the night and your wife has to go to the bathroom and the toilet seat's been left up and you hear that familiar scream and splash? You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's splash and scream. But you understand something's gone wrong. With you. You, you put the toilet seat up in the dark. I didn't want to wake you up, you idiot. And there, here comes this three o'clock in the morning argument over something that could have been prevented if they would have just listened to us. Husbands, am I right? Can I get a good amen? No. So here, here's the thing. It, in anything that could go either way, how do we decide which way it's going to go? How do, we, how do we conclude the matter with finality? How do we make sure that the things that frustrated us on our honeymoon are not the things that destroy our marriage 30 years later? And guys, this is it. I don't know where God's intention is for up and down in toilet seats, but I do know this. Love has a way of preferring others to make sure they're accommodated at the expense of self. That, that, that logic fails us, but love does not when we say, let's just do this. I, I tell you what, I'll do this and you do that. I, I get to buy another gun where the toilet seat will forever be down. Or some may say, you know what, I think it's important we both lose. Let's not just close the one seat, let's close both seats. 
Because leaving a toilet open is just nasty. And all the civilized people said, yeah, and all the, all the army rangers are like, what? What's a toilet seat? I, I get it. But I'm just simply saying this. Like, if, if whoever screams the loudest wins, eventually that person will lose everything they were screaming about. If whoever gets quiet and distant and what's wrong, nothing, what's wrong, nothing, what's wrong, nothing, the brooding violence versus the yelling violence, right? The manipulation. They may win the toilet seat battle, but they will lose the war because it's not being resolved with love it's been resolved with something less. Now, look at this, guys. In the church, it's the same thing. If, if, if God can be dethroned for anything else, anyone else, it will destroy whatever God has built in your family, in your business, in your church. Look what Paul warns us about, our flesh, our selfishness, or what the Greek word is sarx, and it means kind of all that, all that is naturally bad within man. We're born with it. You say, no, not my babies. My grandbabies were born perfect. You will never have to teach your grandson to hit his, his, your granddaughter. It will come naturally to him. You'll have to teach him not to hit her even though she's provoking it. I'm, I'm speaking from experience and vice versa. You will never have to teach a child to lie with cookies all over their face saying, did you get in the cookie jar? I didn't get in the cookie jar. It comes, it comes with the package. We have to teach them to be decent human beings because they come out of the drawer kind of rough. Come on. They come out of the drawer so selfish they think at three o'clock in the morning if they want a snack all they have to do is cry. And they get their way. And they do, right? So no God community is ever destroyed from the outside. Look what what Paul says about this. He says, the acts of the flesh, the sinful nature, are obvious. They're things like sexual morality. In other words, the, the heart wants what the heart wants. The body wants what the body wants. The soul wants what the soul wants. Impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Now, he kind of puts a, a, a semicolon there, and so and it's almost like there's a, a new statement. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, semicolon. Another category, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live, you know, if you're at a drunken orgy, you probably shouldn't expect to go to heaven. Just a thought. But isn't it interesting, and I underline a few words, because it's interesting that between witchcraft and orgies, God put dissensions and factions Isn't that crazy? Like, it's almost like they should be put in some sort of like top 10 order. And the number one sin that will cause destruction is ding, ding, ding. But it's it's not. Like, it's put in this random order, almost in categories of what the flesh pleasures that bring destruction to covenant relationship. And then kind of the, the insecure or selfishness of relationship. And then back to the fleshly pleasures. In other words, sandwiched between orgies and witchcraft is, well, I don't think I like the way they said that. What about you? What do you think? Well, I don't think I like it either. Well, then we have an agreement. We must be right if there's two of us. Let's find three more people, and then we'll go to somebody and talk about, you know, there's a lot of us. I'm not the only one. I'm not going to say who else there is. And all of a sudden, this dissension, you know why that is? You know why this is such a powerfully uh, poisonous series of behaviors? I have never once, I don't think you have either, ever seen a church destroyed by orgies and witchcraft. I'm, I'm not saying picture it. I'm just saying, right? You're, so you're like, <laughs> come on. This isn't junior high youth ministry. Work with me here, right? What are, what are churches destroyed by? They're destroyed by that center section, right? It's, it's the jealousy and fits of rage and selfish ambition and discord and hatred and dissensions and factions and envy. And I think this is why Paul makes sure, hey, those small sins, you know, a, a small cancer produces death similar to a large one. A small amount of cyanide 
produces a, a powerful effect. And I, and I think he's warning us, like, listen, in your family, there's got to be a vision. And, and I, I, don't, I don't mean to get off track here, but husbands, you're like, my wife just won't listen to me. My wife just won't respect me. My wife just won't obey me. The thing I'd ask you, like, stop for a second and say, do you have a mission that she believes in? Has God sent you on a mission? Do you know who you are, what you're supposed to be doing, how you're supposed to be leading those kids? Because if there's no mission, it's really hard to ask for submission. And a woman by nature, and this is the Bible, and I can prove it to you, so this isn't like me being sexist, although I am. I, I'm not trying to be right now. Is that fair? I don't mean to be sexist. I just discover occasionally that I am. And the, the men chuckled, and the women were like, I hate him. <laughs> okay. No, but it's... it's if, if we don't provide a mission, a life out of control seeks to be in control. So if, if your wife is leading your house and setting the agenda and, and you're, you're like another one of the children, it, I'm not saying she's right, you're wrong, you're wrong. He's, I, I'm simply saying this. If there isn't a clear mission, submission is impossible. And in an absence of leadership, leaders will just begin to lead. So you can't resent that she's acting like your mother when you're acting like a child. One really strong female amen. And, and God bless everyone in the room. So we are destroyed by the little sins from within far more than the great sins from without. So Paul says, listen, guys, in your flesh, like, don't be very, very careful that every time there's a battle, the greatest way to win the war is to lose many battles because of love, to forgive. Well, that's injustice. In some ways it is, but in the greatest sense, it's not. Um, the toilet seat, the whatever it is that brings peace. I'm not saying be peacemongers at the expense of, of reality, but I am saying this, be very careful about winning fights at the cost of your marriage, winning arguments at the cost of your community, being right at the expense of, of the church. Um, it, it's, it's a dangerous game, and, and the reason that it's so effective is because I'm right. I shouldn't have to back down. I am right. Therefore, I am righteous. The first is true. The second may not be. The Pharisees were right, but they were unrighteous because they were unloving. They were unkind. They were unconcerned. All they cared about was their laws and their stuff. Does this make sense? You guys doing okay? Listen to me, guys. God will remove his blessing from any next to that doesn't stay next to him. Doesn't matter how right you are. If you're far from his heart, you're far from the truth. Talk about the second thing, love. How do we know what to do to stay next to? Love is our rules of engagement. First Corinthians 13, you guys probably know that love is patient. Love is kind. Doesn't envy, doesn't boast, isn't proud, isn't rude, isn't self-seeking, isn't easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. It's not storing up evidence. You're guilty, I'll just find out how eventually. That's not loving, Right? So what, what is happening here is these are our rules of engagement. I love the way it, it concludes about, it was verse seven. It says, love, it, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. That's important enough that I thought, let's take a closer look at it. Always protects. The word here for protects is like a thatched roof. It covers, it protects. Love always covers. And that's not a cover-up. I mean, so there's a difference between covering up sin for your own sake, but covering so that people don't have to be exposed by their actions. How many of you guys are grateful that God covers and cleanses our sins? I'm glad he doesn't hold them against me. I'm glad that I get second chances and third chances and fourth chances and a hundredth chances. And that's just from the time I woke up this morning until now. 
And, and, and I don't mean that, it is, it is funny, but it, and it's a little self-deprecating, but hear me. How many of you guys know the mercy of God has had to be extended in a continual tense since the moment you first received it? Because I'm, I'm getting righter, but I'm not completely righteous outside of the blood of Jesus forgiving me in the continual tense. Does this make sense? So a, a thatched roof that covers up to keep from harm or exposure. Love always trust. Now, this is interesting. Trust doesn't mean I trust you. Trust means this. It creates an environment where a person gets the benefit of the doubt. It's 50-50. I could go this way or that way. Let it go the right way. In other words, ah, uh, they're 10 minutes late. I wonder where they are. Well, they're probably out smoking crack. <laughs> 10 minutes late. Well, they probably just got held up at work. They're 10 minutes late. I wonder, well, they're probably at the liquor store. They're probably looking at porn. They're probably destroying our... Stop. Maybe they're just 10 minutes late because they, they were ministering to somebody on the way out. So when there's blanks, love always trusts means you fill them in with what's possibly good, not what's possibly bad. Have you ever found yourself not liking somebody and you've never even met them? No, we're Americans. But in lesser countries, of course you have Neighbors. Someone looked at you a certain way and you thought, that person doesn't like me. And it lasted for two years. They're having a bad day. A, a, a mosquito flew up their nose when they looked at you. You have no idea. But two years later, you meet them, they're as sweet as apple pie. You're like, what in the world? I, I've hated you for two years because I thought you hated me for two years. As it turns out, it's just you hate insects flying up your nostril, right? Love always hopes. It means not to recede, to hold bravely to endure. I'm just going to keep loving because eventually if I throw enough good seed into your manure, flowers are going to bloom. Come on. (laughs) Solomon says it's not only loving, it's wise. A person's wisdom gives them the space. It yields patience. It's to one's glory to actually overlook an offense. Uh, Last week, my wife and I got called to some meetings. It was wonderful. We went to Washington, D.C. for three days and stayed right across the street from the White House. The land of protest was in full bloom, and and it was was pretty cool. But at night, we got to go stand on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, and there's a little, used to be a little little brass plaque. Now it's actually carved into the stone that this is where Martin Luther King did his I Have a Dream speech. And we, we stood right there overlooking the reflecting pool, the Washington Monument, Vietnam Memorial, now the World War II Memorial, the Korea Memorial, all the, all the tourists and people and the life. You just go, ah, oh, and to stand there and know that he had the heart of a nation with his words. It was beautiful, right? But remember this, guys. The reason we remember Martin Luther King is because he always spoke of love. He always spoke of unity. I, on, on those steps where he's standing right now where we stood the other night, I have a dream, he said. I have a dream, a dream that a, a, a little black girl and a little white boy will hold hands and they'll be together in unity where my children will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character. I have a dream and the place went nuts and I got chicken skin repeating it 40 years later or whatever it is, 50, 60, a long time ago later. And I'm, I'm just simply saying this, guys. Everybody knows that love wins. We're just not willing to pay the price that love asks. But I'm asking, and God's asking, and your family's asking, and your church is asking, your community's asking, to be the one who's willing to pay the price that love asks. Lincoln, uh, behind me was this guy here, etched in stone, never looked better. He was probably the least attractive <laughs> president in history. Ears so big, his mom couldn't leave him out on his stiff, windy day that she'd you know, be in Indiana by the time she caught him, you know. He, he was said to say that his hair, his hair was so bad that his, his last two barbers committed suicide. <laughs> he used to tell the story. 
But in the midst of the Civil War at his second inaugural address, he's been elected for a second time as president, and he's addressing the nation. He says these words, with malice towards none and with charity or love for all. With firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. Can you hear those words? Does that resonate with you? We all, we all know, by the way, both of them have one thing in common that we just, or all three of them, all four of them, we've talked about Paul, Jesus, Martin Luther King, Abraham Lincoln. What's the one thing they all have in common? They're all executed. Again, it, it isn't that we don't know how to love, it's that sometimes it's so hard to love. I just was speaking to somebody today and I said, how you doing? They said, not great. If you're gonna be honest, I'm gonna ask questions. What's going on? I got, I got a tough thing I gotta do. I said, I, I think I know, it's, I had some awareness of what was going on. So can I say something to you? The person said, yeah. I said, love is always the right thing to do. Even when it seems like it's not yielding the fruit that you want, I'm being loving, but they're being my enemy. Is love still the right thing? Yeah. But it's, it's not working, you see. I, I, my name's getting smeared all over the place. My friends are getting phone calls. My family's being like, they're 40, and I haven't done anything for which I, I need to apologize or even be ashamed of shouldn't there be more justice? And I would say, you know, certainly you'd want that, right? Tell the truth. Get on social media. Talk to all your, justify all your, matter of fact, make the person that accused you, it pants them. But if love always covers, if, if love hopes, if love always perseveres, doesn't quit. How many of us know that, that love is patient and love always perseveres? It, if it begins with patience and ends with perseverance, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be costly. To stay next to, next to people that have bad days. <laughs> my wife brought up menopause. I was just like, oh my gosh. Well, I've been going through menopause for about 20 years. Mood swings and depression and burnout and anger and come on. I mean, I was just glad my wife loved me through that garbage. And I may owe her a few lifetimes of the same. Guys, I'm just telling you, the time, the moment you stop loving because it seems unfair, you've been deceived. And the next thing you're about to do will put back the process of love by a number of years. Don't win fights. I, don't let lies prevail. But justifying yourself is not the same as telling the truth. Love, 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 love. Lastly is this, the common vision. We gotta have a common vision. It, if we're gonna stay next to, Proverbs 29, verse 18 talks about um, where there's no vision, the people perish. That's the King James version of it, where there's no vision, the people perish. The NIV says where there's no revelation, they cast off restraint. People cast off restraint. You say, well, that, that sounds very different. They're, they're using, there's a picture that's being painted by Hebrew and we're trying to, to draw it with English. So it's, it's different. Does that make sense? You guys getting this? So what I did is I did the JV, the gym version. And it's, it's not the varsity. It's just the JV version. Uh, where leadership fails to point people. Now, leadership, by the way, is husbands, it's wives, it's teachers in the school, in the classroom, it's, it's elected officials, it's pastors, it's um, HOA presidents, what, whatever your role is, where leadership fails to point people in the direction of God's heart and will, people scatter. 
in whatever direction seems best to them, eventually leading to useless divisions or divisions or diverse visions. I was, um, again, in D.C., my wife and I, and we came across people from Afghanistan, Ethiopia, some little country in Africa I've never heard of before, and neither of you. It's north of Ethiopia. Oh, what, Pakistan? I had one guy say, he's, he's got that accent that he talked like this. I said, where are you from? He said, down the street. I'm like, <laughs> bet you ain't. I laughed, you know. But I, the, the guy from Ethiopia, the cabbie, you were asking these cultural questions. What's your favorite thing about America? What's your least favorite thing about America? What's your, you know? And this one guy, I said, you staying busy? He said, uh, not so much. The weekends are busy. I said, really? Because everybody works. You would think that the weekends were busy. Oh, no, other protests. Other protests. I said, protests, really? I said, every weekend, multiple protests, counter-protests, protests, the protests, the counter-protest. He said, people in my country would die for what we have here in this country. People with too much complain about things they don't have. People with too much complain about things they don't have. And I, that isn't to protest the protest, that's not the protest of the protest, that's not what I'm doing. But isn't that, a, isn't that a pointed statement? Guy from another country, what do you see? Your first impression, what do you see? He goes, oh, I see you acting like idiots. <laughs> oh, good. I'll take that home with you, you know? See, the same can be said not only about a nation, but about a church, a spouse, a family, if we aren't careful. Worship team, join me if you would. Um, a, a God community, that this can be, again, a family, if your business belongs to Jesus, if, if your life belongs to Jesus, and you're a part of a group, a God community dictates, it's, it's why dictates, its purpose dictates its what, or it's what becomes lifeless. It becomes repetitious, and maybe in the case of this, it becomes religious. It becomes what I do, because that's what I've always done versus what I do because it's, it's connected to who I am. Does that make sense? You're getting this? No, you didn't sneeze. Let me try it again. If, if you find yourselves repeating behaviors, nine o'clock, I have toast, a boiled egg, a strip of bacon, I go to work with my cup of coffee, the exact coffee, the exact egg, the exact bacon, the exact... You do the exact, so you come home the exact, you pay the exact, build the exact thing. And all of a sudden you're like, vacation, let's just try something new because I, your soul longs to be alive, not, not some sort of a programmed existence. Is that, are you getting that? So w- with this, the communities that you serve have to have a vision. Matter of fact, let's just, let's just recap it real quick. God has to be the center of it all. Remember that the love is, is the way this thing works and it's got to dictate our hearts and our actions towards each other. And, and we have to own a vision. We, we. Now, I'm not the father of your family. I'm not the husband um, to you as a spouse. I'm, I'm not the CEO of your corporation, but I am the pastor of this church. So can I speak to you from that platform? Say amen or I'll talk all day until I'm convinced that you're, okay, yeah, good, yeah. All I did was threaten you. You respond so beautifully to threats. <laughs> um, I have a dream. And I hope that we share that vision, that loving God, loving people, loving to serve, finding out who you are and releasing you in meaningful ways, not recruiting you to build my ministry, but releasing you to live your existence, your, your ministry, your worship before God. We have before us a couple of great opportunities, and I want you not to look at it as, well, that's the thing that I do and the place that I go and the song that I sing, and when that's done, I go back to the normal. The sacred is finished. I've checked the box, and now the secular takes over for the next 7, 14, 21 days until you know, we would see you again. Like, please hear me. This summer, in just a couple of weeks, right? Explore camp, Sister Babe, is like three weeks, two weeks. 
Is it a week from tomorrow? Two weeks from tomorrow? I can't see. Was it three, three weeks from tomorrow? Um, there's going to be hundreds of kids. Now, now, great. No, no, hear me. Who for the first time will hear and understand the good news of Jesus Christ. And their little heads will bow and their little eyes will close and their little hands will fold and they will give their heart to Jesus as a seven-year-old. You, you know, do you know how hard it is to remodel a 50-year-old on a wrong foundation? Do you know how wonderful it is to lead a seven-year-old to love Jesus the rest of her life, the rest of his life? I, there will be people that will probably be forgotten as far as the names, but they'll never be forgotten. And that someone's going to explain that. Someone's going to pray with them. Someone's going to worship and show them what worship looks like. Someone's going to say high five and say, hey, great game. You played a great game. And they've never gotten that before. Gentlemen, hear me. If, if you can find a night or five nights, especially, I'm, ladies, everybody, but, but can, you know, a kid that doesn't have a dad and then, and then a man shows up and says, Billy, good job, buddy. Bam. Billy's stock just went up 10%. Why? Because someone in a position of authority said, I respect you. I see you. I value you. Come on. The church has to do that before the gangs do. The church has to do that before the clubs do. The church has, like, we're in a beautiful position to be in a child's life, to bring them to Christ. We've got these Thursday nights coming up. We are partnering with Slurp. Slipper. Southern Lakes Park and Slipper. Southern Lakes Park and Recreation on Thursday night. I said, would you come down and help us be a part of this? I would love to do that. So we are building the world's biggest slip and slide. Fenn has never seen a slip and slide like this before. I've never seen. I'm making it up as I go along. But we're going to have a huge slip and slide with fresh water right out of the clean tributaries of the Shiawassee River. This is going to blast kids down plastic and we're going to be playing with them and laughing. We're going to have speed contests and the oldest person down the slide, the youngest person down the... We're going to have a blast with our community and we need people. We're going to set up inflatables. We're going to build regatta boats and sail them down the river and there'll be a prize for the fastest boat that makes it down. Like we're, we're going to be the salt that brings out the flavors of Fenton, Michigan and the surrounding areas. We get to play this summer because the world, the world said, would you come make it better? We're going we're gonna to find three chefs and we're going to say, here's $100 by any ingredients from the farmers in the farmer's market and cook a dish. And we're going to judge the dishes that come out of the farmer's market stuff. We're, I mean, I'm trying to talk them into bingo. I'm a Protestant, but I like bingo. And we'll get Father Harvey to call a card and we'll get the mayor to call a card and we'll get, you know, Pastor Wes at the Rock to call a card. We're just, we're just let's just, let, and the community said, would you help us? Our answer is, Shaw right? We got camps coming up with our youth. We've got summer internships with FCA. We've got missions trips to West Virginia. We're, we're heading to the mean streets of Dearborn. We just got back from Grand Rapids. I say we in the sense that Jason did all the work, but I, the guy asked me for a favor. I introduced him to Jason, so I get all the credit. How many guys think being a pastor is pretty cool? Welcome to Dina's world, Pastor Jason. I'm sorry about that, you know. They sweat, they don't sleep, and everybody's snoring. Kim's, you know, they're all working really hard. I get the text, thank you so much for your heart, for this community, what you've done. I'm like, who is this? What's that? Oh, yeah, Jason. Oh, yeah, okay, cool. Hey, if we're going to be next to each other, let's do something. 
Matter of fact, I'll say this. The day we stop doing something is the day we'll start fighting about dumb things and we'll no longer be next to each other. It's, it's serving the Lord that brings us next to again and again. I wish that city wall would have had to be rebuilt for more than 56 days. I wish it took 56 years. I think they've been better off. God didn't use them to build that wall. God used that wall to build them. We, we need to do stuff together. And so this summer, we're going to go for it. We're going we're gonna to do missions trips, kingdom builders, explore camp. We got uh, Thursday nights. We're going to win the lost at any cost. It doesn't cost us our beliefs. There are people in this room that have said for years, God, if you give me an opportunity, I'll lead someone to Jesus, but I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know when. Well, I know how, and I'm going to teach you. I know where, and I'm going to show you. And I know when, and I want to see you there. So we're going to train on, next, next Sunday, we start this new series called City on a Hill. How many of you guys know that you see a city on the hill when it's dark? All the light. People say, I need shelter, man. I need provision. I need, I need to belong. We're going to go out into the streets. We're going to be a city on a hill. We're going to be light and salt. And so this summer, I'm just calling you guys to action. If Christianity is nothing but a bunch of memorized tenets, I, I don't want to say this the right way because I could say it so mean and it would feel so good. But what's the loving way to say it? it if you are following Jesus, you are going somewhere not just sitting somewhere, learning what Jesus used to say and what Jesus used to do. It's time to go and say what he said and do what he does. So I invite you. We got a vision. We've got love. We keep God at the center of it all. Baby, we're going to win some people to Jesus this summer and we'll all by fall be so sunburned and tired and broke and exhausted and our hands will look feminine and petite and... Man, I, I hope a cement mixer sneezes on you this summer. And you know the joy of dysentery. And you feel the sufferings of Christ, but in it you feel the glory of the kingdom of God. Do you stand your feet all over this room? Come on. Nobody leave? You leave, I'm putting your name in for deacon. That's my punishment. Father, we offer you our lives to do anything less is to rob ourselves to do any, the most selfish thing we can do, <laughs> that which would benefit us the most is to be crucified with Christ, that we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. It's a good selfishness. It's a God selfishness. It's a, it's a selflessness selfishness. God, I pray that over my friends today. We got a dream. And there, there won't be a monument. There won't be a marble step. There won't be a reflecting pool. It's... It's not that kind of national heroism. But in all of our stories, there's someone that was courageous enough to tell us about Jesus. Someone who invited us, someone who loved us, someone who stayed by us. No one in this room can name five sermons that have changed your life. But everybody in this room can name five people who have. And we pray that over the summer. Come on, church, pray with me. God, we pray for those who've never led someone to Jesus to lead someone to Jesus this summer. We pray for those that have never seen a, a miracle of healing to see a miracle of healing this summer, God. We pray that there would be favor that rests on us, that when we smile, the, uh, a depressed world smiles, not even knowing why they're smiling. That joy would fill the streets of our communities. That joy would fill the streets, God, of our neighborhoods. That the joy of the Lord would be our strength. As Ezra read the law, the people began to mourn and wail. They realized how far they were from God. And Nehemiah stood up and said, it's not a day to mourn. It's a day to rejoice for the joy of the Lord is your strength. God, we pray that today the same joy that was spoken of 3,000 years ago, let that be our joy today. That joy of the Lord, that's our strength, God. I pray that we change our calendars, change our mindsets, change our budgets to be light and salt in this world. Father, have your way with us 
Now, if you want to do this, great. If you don't, don't do it. But as a sign of surrender, if you choose to today, would you just raise your hands before the Lord right now? God, here's all my yesterdays. Now deal with them, Father. I can't, I can't undo what I've done, but you can. Remove the cost. Remove the penalty. Remove the sin. Remove the guilt and shame. Remove the weight from my soul. I am no longer what I have done. I am what you have done for me, and I stand in that, God. With my hands raised, now I offer you my life. Not just a Sunday, not just a song, not just a summer, not just a season, God, but, but here is my heart. And to the best of my ability, and I may have to repent of this a hundred times by the end of the day, but every time I realize I'm away from you, I get to come back to you. And I get to come back to you. And I get to come back to you. The God who never leaves me or forsakes me, I get to come back to you. And I pray this day, God, we dedicate ourselves to this end. There are people that are waking up drunk in somebody else's bed right now. Father, those are the people we're praying for right now, God. The, the, the addicts and the adulterers and the atheists, those who just, I don't need God. It's all a big lie. I don't trust organized religion. Father, arrest them in Jesus' name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Let the right person with the right stuff in the right place at the right time with the right stuff in their hand, in their mouth, in their hearts. May we connect with the city, God, in such a way that it will never be the same. It'll never be the same. A city on a hill. Make us a city on a hill. Come on. Put your hand over your heart right now. Father, make us. Make me. Make my family, my marriage, my singleness, my, my wayward kids. God, make us a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, that cannot be denied, that's clearly seen, that people would seek refuge in. We love you, God. We love you, God. We love you, God. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus.